So Sinjin Rivers pops the question. You've waited for a proposal since playing house and roaming on Reed's herb garden in your nightgown, wearing a white pillowcase for a veil as you pluck sweet peas, a collar of eucalyptus leaves, a sprig of bleeding hearts from the earth's damp mouth. The man who lost after your mind only, who finagled you into giving up German to learn Hindustani so the two of you can get hitched jet to India and save the world, stands before you stiff as a ceramic groom for the top tier of your wedding cake. The cassock drapes across his legs like a bell-shaped flower. You're tempted to bury your face in the quiet of each fold each delicate crease unfurling at the sound of your voice, at the slightest graze of a curious fingertip. Unlike Eddie, he doesn't expect you to register for Whitecliffe or Wedgwood ASAP for the cobalt crystal water jug, goblets and sherry glasses, the matching champagne flutes. He doesn't demand you tie the knot in a Princess Di ensemble, the ivory silk crepe gown and jacket auctioned at Christie's, or a satin floral brocade with a scoop neck and cathedral-length skirt. However, you can't even blink or move like when Bertha snuck into your room and lurked over your four-post bed and you thought she'd slit your throat with her glittery ghetto nails. Instead, the klepto lifted your, your Vera Wang veil, a gift from Eddie, you were afraid of winding up like her brother, Mason, chest unzipped on the bare mattress like a yellow-tailed snapper, waiting to be gutted. You feared sleep, nightmares, bloody sponges, floating Bertha opening her mouth to flash a sharp fang until you awoke burdened, limbs to the mattress like a circus elephant, manacled to the ground. If it were up to Miss Looney Tunes, she'd rip that row of shiny buttons right off JR's cassock, sink her claws into his tender torso like barbs of stinging nettle, hook bristles along the edge of cut grass. He'd learn the difference between yes and no, between I do and I don't. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that is a Bachelor recap podcast after the microphones are turned off. And sadly, you don't get to hear it. But what you will get to hear is two young ladies discussing Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters, their life, their work, and the fandom that surrounds them. I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman team austin and i'll be doing an intro next week guys so don't worry about <laughs> yeah, <do> that again. <laughs> sorry about that sorry <laughs> but we do have lots of bachelor stuff to talk about we do oh so. my gosh ah, becca oh, t. Lord. becca t is that her name secret actress I think that's her name. secret, secret actress i think actress. it is there's too many there's so many beccas and laurens i can't keep them straight this sure. season that's why yeah her. yeah sure. she's the one i think she's sure a secret actress name. Yeah, she, oh, she's the worst. It's they're all the worst. It's terrible this year, guys. I'm, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, we're not here to talk about reality <laughs> TV this week. 
I wish. This week, we're here to talk about poetry, something I really know nothing about, to be honest with you. Yeah, me either. I feel like my education is sorely lacking in this area. Um, but one of my 2018 New Year's resolutions is to get better with this. Read more poetry. Expand my horizons. So that's what we are going to do. Um, so this week, we are talking to Rita Maria Martinez. Now, she is a poet from Miami, and a lot of you guys actually already know her as she is in our Facebook group. She's pretty active. Um, she's also on Twitter as Cuban Bronteite. Um, so go follow her. She has a book called The Jane and Bertha and Me, which, shockingly, it's all uh, it's all poems about uh, Jane Eyre and, um, and Bertha. And we heard one at the top of the show. Uh, Sinjin Rivers pops the question. Which was nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Oh, Sinjin. What a question. Oh, Sinjin. <laughs> I feel he like barely, she should just he do barely like a, proposes. What is that? He, he barely, okay. barely does it. She could do a whole like capsule collection on Sinjin. Yeah. Do a poem about Sinjin versus St. John. The Sinjin and St. John in me. <laughs> that would be great, actually. <laughs> I, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't really. I have to say, like, in all of my education, like, my creative writing, like, courses that I took in school and literature classes, like, I feel like just poetry was, like, I don't know. We we didn't really experiment with writing it. Read just, like, a teeny tiny little bit. Um, I feel like you're a little bit better. You do write quite a bit of poetry. Ah, uh, man. Yeah. You don't I have just, to read any, Hannah. I wasn't, I just, that wasn't me, like, preparing. To, no, no. Like, I was just, like, I just to want, didn't want you to think I was calling you out. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that I was, I wrote a couple that I was like really happy with last year and um, and actually my one of my housemates uh, talks about poetry to me a lot and Oh really? Hear me when I say talks about poetry to me. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like we're not yeah. having a two-way conversation when it, when it comes up. Um, well, he is a guy. <laughs> uh, it just, it feels quite like on the nose sometimes the stuff that I write I, what I will I will say that um last year I developed a credit was it last year no tell you what it's 2016 and then I spent a lot of the end of 2016 and then early 2017 writing about it but um yeah I developed a, an unrequited crush and it I could not stop writing it was like there was just because I couldn't, ex- oh, I'm hitting the table. Because I couldn't talk about it with anyone. Suddenly, mm. I had, I had to write. Like I just, I was writing all the time, like on the bus, on my phone at work. And then my, uh, something happened with my phone. It wasn't backed up to the cloud. And thankfully, like truthfully, thankfully, um, it's all gone. Oh really? Oh yeah, no! Yeah, I'd say about a year, a year of, of of writing. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm happy that that is it belongs to the ocean. It's just gone. Now. It's it like didn't... the crush, the crush is over, and like the 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 writing about the crush is gone now. So it's yeah, just like and actually, I feel like there was no merit to it other than it it I, I was able to say it. And then mm-hmm. I never really thought of myself as a poet until I went to uni, and then everyone was like, "Oh, you're a prose poet." Because what I thought was my like snappy, edgy flash fiction was apparently not. They were like, "Oh no, this is prose poetry." Um, oh. yeah, I don't know. Nice. I like poet. I like and poetry a bit. 
I think it's good too for comic writers, especially because you can, you know, I mean, you always have to think about condensing your words and choosing words that are most meaningful. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's actually like, it's something that I should just probably, I should probably take a poetry class to like get outside of my comfort zone. Well, I can't writing remember. Wise. I can't remember what um, the book's called. I think it's like sentences, short sentences on writing by Marilyn Klinkenberg. And mm-hmm. in that book, they say um, like, and this is something I think a lot about, uh, think about a lot with poetry is uh, you shouldn't write it down until the sentence is formed in your head. Like we've got this rush to to write stuff down the minute we think mm-hmm. about it because you might lose it. And like, that is true. Like the amount of times I've had these flashes. Um, I write quite a bit of poetry about my dad at the moment. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, read into that what you will. But, <laughs> but actually like, yeah, I think an idea... It, it needs to form and yeah like with comic writers just writing in general like the first thing that you think of isn't necessarily the best thing yeah so just sit with it for a bit <laughs> that's good I mean that's good advice it's hard to sit with your writing for a bit too yeah I I feel very rushed like I'm gonna lose everything so I just throw a lot of words on the page and then I do a lot of editing later yeah on. I think but I think if you edit that's that's different it's there's a lot of people that like the the immediate thought is the is the value and it's like is it because that's it you know it's a good point it's like the pant like the pantsers versus the plotters have you heard that that's sort of like in the romance world like there's certain people who sort of like fly by the seat of their like they don't plot out a novel uh, and they don't like yeah. do an outline they just are like i'm just gonna sit down and write and i don't know how many you know, words will approximately go into this chapter or like what the, you know, what the structure is going to be, but I'm just going to figure it out sort of at the end. Maybe I'll like, I'll edit and then I'll shape the novel there versus like plotters who are like, I'm going to write a very detailed outline and then I'm going to like flesh that out a bit and flesh it out a bit. And then I'm going to write and then I'm going to, you know, like, and then I'm going to edit a little bit and then, you know, it's so. I'll I'll call myself a happy medium. I think I'm a happy medium as well. Medium. I can't, I can't go in, I can't go in dry. Uh, like mm-hmm. I have to have an idea and def- definitely when when it came to doing like my thesis project for uni which was kind of the longest form graphic novel I've scripted um having just having an idea of my page count and even then when yeah. I redrafted it being like man okay so I don't know I don't know how many pages this is going to take and things will condense and stuff but I know that this plot point is at the middle so it has to happen by like if the, if the story is 120 pages long it has to happen by page 60 yeah because otherwise yeah. The, the arcs are all out and you wouldn't I, I don't think you'd necessarily know that if you were doing it page by page by page because then suddenly it's like oh my final like like my big thing that changes everything happens 50 pages in but then everything that happens after that happens in like 100 pages like is it yeah, I think I think comic book writers have to be more, you know, plotters because there's even espe- like especially if you worked for something like Marvel or DC too because you can like have a handoff too to another writer as well. So you're like I need to hit these story points by this issue and this issue has x amount of pages, x amount of panel- panels and then I've got to hand off this story, you know, like so it's yeah, you have to be I think with comic writing a little bit more precise which is what I enjoy about it and what's and what I hate about it as well. 
Yeah. It's it's the worst, yet the best. But, but, I'm bringing it back around to poetry. Because mm-hmm. this poetry. is where our head's at this year. That's what we're going to do. For many reasons. I'll get into some of those reasons a little later on in the show. But let's roll it back and let's talk about... Some ways that we can like get into poetry and talk about poetry and um, some strategies that we can use. So I sent Hannah this article and it was called Reading a Poem, 20 Strategies. And this is by Mark Yakich. And it was published in The Atlantic. And I will um, I'll post this link in our Facebook group. But uh, we've gone ahead and highlighted some of our favorite strategies. So, uh, Hannah, do you want to start us off with one of the strategies in this article? Yeah. Uh, Number 16. As your ability to read poems improves, so will your ability to read the news, novels, legal briefs, advertisements, etc. A Starbucks poster a few years ago read, Friends like snowflakes, each one is unique. How true. But isn't snow also cold and ephemeral? Let's hope our friends are not. That one makes good point. I like that one actually a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, this makes sense. Yeah, reading reading different things helps you know strengthen your abilities. So yeah, yeah, I would like to be better, stronger, faster. So let's read more poetry. Right, can you? (laughs) Um, I'll take it uh, back up to number one, and. I liked this one um, a lot, actually. Dispel the notion that reading poetry is going to dramatically change your life. Yeah. <laughs> your life is continually changing most of the time. You're simply too busy to pay enough attention to it. Poems ask you to pay attention. That's all. So, um, yeah, that was my, my, I think my favorite tip from the whole thing. Because I do think that people do have this feeling like, oh, my God, like, or making poetry seem sort of like more important or bigger than it is. Yeah. And also, you know, what I really encountered when, when I couldn't stop writing it was everyone was like, Oh, you're a poet now. And I was like, no, (laughs) I mean, I'm not like I was writing poetry, but I didn't, I didn't want to. It's that. Yeah. Like, Oh, I'm a poet. I hate. Yeah. Like I, I like I know something more than you do. And by, but I mean, like, with a capital P, like, I don't hate poets. I hate people that tell right. you they're poets. And what was really upsetting was that people people were talking to me as if I was doing that. And I was like, I'm trying to do this very discreetly and on my own. <laughs> like, I'm really not trying to read this to you or involve you in it. So. I, I think it's... Um... It's also, too, like I have an ex-boyfriend that was a poet with a capital P. <laughs> and he was like always reading. Like he just was always like, stop, I've written a poem. Like everything must stop. Everyone needs to pay attention to me. I've written something. You can't do that. Like, I remember like I've uh, made my brother yeah. read one of my poems. And he laughed at me. He like he read it and laughed in my face. <laughs> in a coffee shop. I mean, I've definitely done that to people. I'm with your brother there. But um, I do think, like, saying all that, I do think poetry is important. I just feel like we maybe have this, like, idea of certain poets that are, like... Beatniks. You're thinking about beatniks. Yeah. Or my ex-boyfriend, who's, like, literally stood up at a, in the middle of the date, like, I have a poem to read. And I was like, oh, God. I'm thinking about <laughs> What's people... What's happening? 
quote their favorite songs on Facebook and then tell me they're a poet. <laughs> um, I really liked point 18 um, mm -hmm. where it says, and I think this really, I remember the, the giddy feeling of really getting into poetry and enjoying it. And 18 is the very best way to read a poem is perhaps to be young, intelligent and slightly drunk. There is no doubt, however, that reading poems in old age cultivates a desire to have read more poems in youth. Interesting. I well, love I got that. two out of three of those. <laughs> because I feel like last year I was the first half of this point and this year <laughs> I'm the second <laughs> half. Oh, it's perfect. I've gone straight from youth to old age. I wish I'd read more poetry last year. Well, there's no time like the present. I guess. I'm so not yet 30. I'll be all right. Yeah, you're gonna be okay. You? Oh um, man, your poetry days are gone. I'm I'm done. I'm over. <laughs> <laughs> so now number eleven is reading for pleasure implies that there's a reading for displeasure or reading for pain. Oh yeah. 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 All reading should be pleasurable. Like sex, it pleases to a greater or lesser degree, but pleasure ultimately isn't the only point. Um I mean, there, there, there are some reading for displeasure moments. Like if you're reading, like you know, a manual. Oh sure. Or if you're reading, yeah, like reading my like Subaru manual. <laughs> yeah, like I, I just you know, I'm just trying to figure out what that light is in my car. Um, but <laughs> just really getting into. I just love this manual. Uh, <laughs> just love it. Just what is this? Is this an oil light? Is this a low tire pressure? What's happening here? Um. But yes, I do agree with this, you know, mostly. I think that um, there are a lot of people that read books that they think that will improve them mm -hmm. um, or look good. Mm -hmm. And poetry can definitely be included in that. But I do think like you're not going to get anything out of it or as much out of it if you don't enjoy it. Yeah. So just read what you love and, you know, it, it's fine. I, I learned a lot from romance novels when I was a child. Yeah, I read nothing. <laughs> like as a writer, as a reader, as a, you know, as a, as a woman. Yeah. And it's like that proper, like, I want to, I want to say that middle-aged romance novels. Like I wasn't reading teen romance. Yeah. I was reading romance novels about women that had gotten married in their early twenties or mid twenties. They had children, they were going through a divorce. Totally. Um, and it's, do you know, it's because that's exactly what my mum's life story was. And I was reading all of the books that she was reading. And it was great. Much more empathetic. Yeah. Katie Ford. Hello. <laughs> I read every <laughs> Katie Ford book that came out. And they were all the same. Like I try now and like pick apart which one was which and I can't do it. But that was definitely, oh, that was just reading for pleasure. I just could not stop. Yeah. But you, and I'm sure you learned I don't know what I learned from that. You you learned some things. You I know what I learned from that. I like an older man. Hmm. I used to love the ones with <laughs> <an> older men. <laughs> well, I learned all about the Scottish Highlands, guys. <laughs> so yeah, I I think um, always aim to read for pleasure, unless you know, unless you're trying to like put together a computer. 
or a podcast studio, then maybe you need to like read a few manuals. That's all. Actually, this leads on nicely to number five, because that's people will tell you there are two kinds of poems. The accessible poem whose intent and meaning are easy to appreciate and the obscure poem whose intent and meaning are difficult to appreciate. It's up to you Mm. how hard you want to work. And yeah, there's like... That's a good one. I think people expect there to be an immediacy with things. And if you don't get it the first time, it's not for you or you shouldn't read it or it was bad. Like I always always bring it up. What the hell is Bogface about? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But I've never stopped thinking about it. Samuel Beckett's Ping that's what mm-hmm. that's just what is that what is that i hated that the first time i read it i have been thinking about it since i was 19 years old like i've been thinking oh, wow. about that short story for nearly 10 years and man i don't know i so in school i also participated in like a rare books pro, or not a rare books program um classic books program and um what we would do is we would pick like a classic each semester and just you'd read it and you'd dissect it from every angle. And like, you'd have, you know, instructors come in and debate it and you'd watch every film adaptation. I mean, just would be like, you know, 12 weeks dedicated to one book. And so one year it was Faust and um, I read Faust the first time and I did not care for it. And then I read it like a second time. And like, I was going to all of the lectures. I was like watching all of the movies. I was like, just, yeah talking about Faust like every single day for 12 weeks. And it definitely is one of those texts that requires like several um, readings and just discussions. And um, like, I think about it, like, it's like, yeah, 10 years later, like I think about it all the time. I compare it to every story. How does the story hold up in terms of Faust? Every story is Faust. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I do think, um, multiple readings can bring you something especially even if i think actually if you hate something the first time i think that definitely warrants a second reading if you sort of like feel lukewarm about something meh but if you hate something read it again i just remember we were just all in this classroom no one knew what was going on anthony how our lecturers stood at the front he couldn't say anything he was just like i don't know i think he he was just happy that we didn't understand I like he was a good lecturer but I just remember I just remember looking at him like you think you're the puppet master huh giving us this this thing watching us lose our minds just watching us dance and everyone's like well I thought I you know I I I think it's the sound of a typewriter and then everyone in the room going you googled that we've all read that we've all had that opinion (laughs) oh I, I think it's a typewriter well done I think it's someone chopping up bodies That was my first, uh, my, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was about bodies. It's, well, you know, it's not a bad theory. Not bad. I wanted to add, I wanted to add a point to this for reading poetry. Oh, yeah, please. Read to the punctuation. I feel like this is, mm. so one of the points that I don't know if you have it to mention, but it's, it's read everything out loud, even if it's not a performance piece or if it's yes. read every poem out loud, but don't read poetry to the end of the line. If you're reading poetry out loud, if you're trying to, to read it or get used to kind of getting your mouth around the words is punctuation is in poetry for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. And if you, if you read to the full stops or read to the commas, then the sentences will make sense. And then you'll still get the construction of the poem uh, 
but what you're saying will make sense in in terms of words differently to if you read it to the end of each line yeah yeah so if you're Very struggling important. to understand a poem then maybe try and it's hard when you first start writing poetry to include punctuation like i i got a lot of feedback um in some of my earlier pieces just saying there's no punctuation in here like have you like what are you doing yeah, so a, i'll you play around that's a tool a in your toolbox that you should be yeah yeah exactly and so utilizing. i would play around with like um take just writing it in like in a paragraph as almost like prose putting in all of mm -hmm. the punctuation and then deconstructing it and then each poem will kind of go through that a couple of times so oh that's a good strategy i like that but i'm not a poet so don't listen to my advice <laughs> <laughs> i mean you've written lots of poetry i've read some of it it's quite good and uh you know you did you did like you know study it and work on it at school but you know no you're not a poet um that was on my list but i have another one what is it that i can um say that is uh try to meet a poem on its own terms and not yours which i think is something i struggle with in just like all forms of literature but um because i want everything to be on my terms yeah but if you have to relate to a poem in order to understand it you aren't reading it sufficiently yeah. In other words, don't try to fit the poem into your life. Try to see what world the poem creates. Then if you are lucky, its world will help you re-see your own. Yeah. So I like that tip a lot, actually. Step out of your space, guys. Step out of your comfort zone. Do it, yeah. So I think that's what this year is all about for me. And um, yeah, so I was really happy to get Rita on the show to talk a little bit about um, poetry, her poetry, and um, how she brought her love of the Brontes and her love of poetry together. And uh, yeah, so enjoy the interview and we will be back in a moment. Uh, junior year in high school, I took a British literature course where mm -hmm. we were taught uh, we had to read several novels and we read uh, Jane Eyre. Mm -hmm. And then when we were done reading Jane Eyre, the next novel we read was Wuthering Heights. Okay. And then I, I fell in love at the time. I fell in love with um, Jane Eyre. I know a lot of teenagers tend to gravitate toward Wuthering Heights, but I mm -hmm. fell in love um, with Jane Eyre. Uh, so I remember just like reading it at, I remember the first half was sort of tough to get through because there mm -hmm. was a lot of suffering, right? Yeah. But I remember like if when Jane would become upset at some sort of injustice committed against her, like at Lowood or wherever she was at, at the reeds, like I would get angry along with her. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I think also I related to, to Jane Eyre a little bit, maybe, because I was like around the age that she is in the book. Because mm -hmm. she's kind of, you know, pretty young in that book. And mm -hmm. um, uh, at the time, I, I was guilty of being sort of besotted by Rochester. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> at the time, but whatever. I was an immature teenager, so... <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. There's, I don't know. So it just kind of spoke to me. It's also like the language is very poetic and beautiful. Oh yeah, absolutely. But 
you know, the language in Jane Eyre, there's just so many passages that are beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, just like scenes of especially being outside and in the garden. Yeah. Although in Villette too, they have that. It's this idea of Eden, but it's not really. But this mm-hmm. idea of, you know, just of gardens and all that. Yeah, uh, she fine. has a lot of like lines that I'd want to get tattooed on my arm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Jane Eyre, yeah. Jane, like especially, there's like just lots of just really great quotable yeah. bits. Um, so I could see and how even, that would appeal to you. Like, were you at the time like playing around with poetry, or were you? Were no, you not gone down no, that road yet? No. no, 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 no. I didn't start writing poetry until I was in college, really. So oh, okay, no, that was much later. But I had always, you know, been a reader, and um, even though obviously, like in the in the Gothic novel. Uh, part of that tradition is sort of melodrama, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's critics or people who think, oh, that it's kind of certain of the Gothic elements are a bit hokey in the book. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know, at the age when I read it, I kind of enjoyed it. But I also was um, sort of a pop culture junkie who like watches too much TV mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuff like that. So I always loved all those old black and white movies, you know, like with right. Bella Lugosi and, and Boris Karloff and all those people, you know, th- those are like the horror films that I still like, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'll be watching Turner Classic Movies in October, you know, rewatching a lot of those old movies and stuff. So um so just this idea of the mystery, you know, that there's right. this mystery running through the book and all these strange things going on and huh, what's going on, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just playing intrigue. right into your sensibilities. Yeah. In- yeah. Intrigue, intrigue. So the first half was tough to get through initially when I was that right. age. But the second half, I just couldn't put it down. It was like I was yeah. riveted. I was riveted. Now, when did you, you first read it, Lauren? I think it was around the same time. Yeah. And I, I feel very similar to the way that you do is, and that I was, I was enamored with Mr. Rochester, like, mm-hmm. obviously, like, I just love this, like, mysterious man and like, a, you know, tucked away castle. But then reading it as an adult, I had very, very different feelings about Rochester. Yeah, it's, 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 it's different. I see him as sort of, he's a mixed bag. Yeah. I, I still do like him more than Heathcliff, though. Um, yeah. But uh, but for Rochester, I know a lot of people like really do hate him so much. And I, I do feel, though, OK, you know, the guy does lose, a, you know, certain things happen to him at the end of the book. It's not like sure. he comes out unscathed. But yes. And when I first read the novel, the way that Charlotte writes Bertha, mm-hmm. you know, as a reader, you're not the way she's written. It's at a distance. So you don't really you're not close to Bertha's character. Mm -hmm. But then when you reread the novel, when you're older, and you reread the novel, you really start to think more about, you know, poor Bertha. Yeah, absolutely. And is that? And is that sort of like that relationship, the Jane Bertha relationship? Is that something? um, So when you did start, you know, writing poetry, is that something that you just like really wanted to get in? Because it just had been nagging you or like, how did the inspiration to, you know, bring Jane Eyre into poetry, like come to you? Well, like I said, I was always obsessed with Jane Eyre. And then I was taking a workshop class. Um, I think this one was as an undergraduate. And it was a creative writing poetry class. And I wrote 
a poem that was at the time inspired by that scene in the garden when there's a you know a famous scene in the garden in the book mm-hmm. and um i wrote it and then i was like thinking of this idea of the companion poem the idea being if you write a poem that not that you ever write a poem and think oh it's such a success like you just write a poem and you're like that's the best i could do that's mm-hmm. sort of what rita dove former uh she's a, a former us poet laureate says you know like i write a poem and I think, I don't think, oh, it's great. I think that, well, that's the best I could do. Mm-hmm. But you write a poem, and then if you do feel that it it succeeds on some level, sometimes you want to recreate that success. Mm-hmm. So I wrote a companion poem, and it was this universe that I felt sort of comfortable in because I knew the characters. I had read the book several times. Mm-hmm. I had watched a lot of the different adaptations that had been, you know, out at the time. Um, mm-hmm. I remember when the Zeffirelli Jane Eyre came out, I went to see it. Um, I remember what I liked, you know, what I didn't like. It's sort of like if anyone's ever watched a soap opera for several years it's a a universe that you become very well acquainted with like the people the drama the places so it just Mm -hmm. felt sort of like that atmosphere like this universe that I felt comfortable in so eventually then when I was in graduate school half the time I started I would write other types of poems you know about whatever Mm -hmm. Uh, growing up, coming of age, adolescence, um, superheroes, pop culture kind of stuff. What's it like to be first generation uh, Latina mm-hmm. uh, growing up in the U.S.? But then the other half of the time, I started writing Jane Eyre poems. And I was like, okay, so like what, you know, trying to come up with different ideas. Like, okay, so I want to write another one. And then that led me to explore a lot of other things like... Uh, biographies right Mm -hmm. and reading correspondence and then that just kind of exploded so now like many of you who are listening you know I have like a whole big shelf that's all full of books related to Jane Eyre it's kind of an addictive and expensive uh, thing right right exactly (laughs) like of those some of the ones that I really love are Margaret Smith's volumes of Charlotte Bronte's correspondence Mm -hmm. I think that those are really amazing. I think she's they're really pricey. She's a strong letter writer too. Like she's just like she's very forceful. I mean, with her writing, she's like that too. I mean, she's like she's forceful. She um, like her language is very poetic. And And she was a prodigious letter writer. Yeah, she absolutely was. I mean, most of them were burned, and we still have a ton. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot, and then. Margaret Smith includes like after each letter, like 20 footnotes and each footnote in itself is Mm -hmm. like a universe. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. All the stuff you, yeah, you kind of pick up and learn through that. I'm also fascinated by that idea, you know, of the doppelganger and there's, Mm -hmm. um, there's a really famous book of literary criticism that really influenced me a lot called the mad woman in the attic Uh Uh, by two women. Their last names are Gilbert and Goober. And that book very much, I think, still, you know, holds up. It's it's really a classic book in terms of 
literary feminism. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that they're like second wave literary feminists, and that they they explore this whole idea of you know that you know maybe they're not so different after all. Yeah. Or maybe one represents what the other could become. Um, in fact, the cover of my book it has you know a picture of both of them, a picture of uh, Jane and Bertha done by a really talented artist named Kate O'Keefe. Mm-hmm. Um, she's on uh, on the internet. She's uh, really great. And the name of the illustration, she called it two sides of the same coin. Oh, nice. So it's just, yeah, sort of this idea of, you know, in their, in their criticism that in some ways, you know, they're like sort of similar thinking in Jane Eyre or, or one, you know, one represents, I guess, the more controlled woman. But I guess if she loses control of her passions or this or that, mm-hmm. there's the threat of what you might become. So um, going back to the Jane and Bertha and me, when did you put that collection together and uh, publish it? Well, it was published. I mean, there were different iterations of it. Mm-hmm. Um but it was published in January of 2016. Okay. It's when the whole collection was published. Initially though, back in back in 2005, I had a chapbook and a chapbook is like a mini book of poetry. Mm-hmm. And it was called um Jane in the Box, which is a phrase taken from one of the from one of the poems Mm -hmm. so when you write a chat book um you can let it be or you can have the option of expanding it into a full-fledged manuscript so that's what i did okay gotcha so that's what i did so jane in the box came out first and it had like maybe half half or a little bit less than half of the poems and then and then i kept you know little by little i just kept writing more more poems and then that kind of developed and turned into um the Jane and Bertha in me now um we're gonna have you do a little poetry reading for everyone so let's go ahead and start with the title poem the Jane and Bertha and me and uh whenever whenever you're ready take your time okay great The Jane and Bertha in me. The Jane in me wants to model a black dress, bottle thick lenses, tuck my hair in a bun. The Bertha in me wants to sport a turban, a red nightgown and chandelier earrings. The Jane in me is suspicious of men flaunting pinky rings, each diamond the size of a chiclet. The Bertha in me believes leathery hands barnacled with gypsy rings are an omen of fertility. The Jane in me seizes meaning in the curve of a nose, the stain of a birthmark on the scalp, interprets the stitch of hair standing to attention on the back of a stranger's head, reads bushy eyebrows, the wide mouth to mean he is stubborn, eats salad with his hands, and continues speaking regardless of tomato basil soup dribbling down his chin. The Bertha in me sleeps until three in the afternoon and sits on the back porch with a cup of Earl Grey, with a cup of Earl Grey that quells the desire to chop up her crotchety landlord. 
The Bertha in me contemplates the moon, constellations perched on the cusp of night, like hundreds of stretched hands on an assembly line, like synchronized swimmers suspended in mid-stroke. While the Jane in me wants to extract Rochester's teeth with her tweezer man, stow them in a jar, a pillbox, deposit his wrenched incisors and canines in a velvet pouch and pin it to her bra so that she can feel his presence, so she can lay that satchel on her pillow and wake each morning to the prayer of his teeth marks on her pale cheek. What I like about that poem is I feel like you, even if you haven't read Jane Eyre, like you'd still understand the dynamic between the two women. I had a lot of fun writing that one. Yeah. It was kind of, yeah, it was a bit out there, but I, I had a lot of fun writing that one. It's a good one. I like that one a lot. I also love a letter to Bertha. Okay. So this might be my favorite one. I get, tend to get a good reaction from this one, like when I read it in, in public. Um, so there's a epigram toward the top, which is from White Sargasso Sea. Um, and it says, there are always two deaths, the real one and the one people know about. Letter to Bertha. If I could, I'd save you. Flies beneath your bed hiss. Bertha. Antoinette, Bertha, though you plug your ears with lima beans, syllables seep in like dust pushing past closed shutters, like loco weed creeping across the garden wall, the mute battlements. Better to bust out of your cell to let the oversized roach motel burn before your so-called husband stuffs you in a body bag, seals you like a cracker in a Ziploc. I'd set you up in a beachside condo stocked with your favorite dahlias. Arabian nights, black satins, Burma gems. I'd hire a good massage therapist and enroll you in yoga. I'd take you to a spa, treat you to a mud bath, restore those charcoal-stained feet to their original hue, have a stylist trim that cavewoman hair. You'd take up kickboxing and swimming. You'd see a shrink who specializes in pyromania, who'd prescribe an antidepressant cocktail for those unpredictable mood swings and panic attacks. After shopping for a new wardrobe, a red dress, and matching slingbacks, we'd climb the Statue of Liberty. We'd toss your straitjacket into the ocean, and along with it, each vestige of sadness that has tinged your bloodshot eyes. I'd make you forget, Edward. I'd cradle your face in my hands and I'd kiss you. A hypnotic lip lock extinguishing each bad memory, obliterating suffering from your lexicon. Bertha, if I could, I'd save you. Nice. Now, did your feelings change for Bertha, do you think, after reading Wide Sargasso Sea? Do you think that was like the big pivot for you? Oh, man. You, um, yeah, partially. It's kind of hard for anybody to read White Sargasso Sea and not change their yeah. feelings or some of them. I do remember thinking, yeah, that's a big drastic change going from living in the West Indies and then to England where you don't know anybody, uh, where the language is different and the climate is different. That's mm -hmm. like a really, that was a, that was a very large 
life change for her. Yeah. Um, but I have to be, to be, it was more personal, I think, for me. Sure. I went through like a, a tough time and I still kind of do go through, you know, challenging times. Um, I'm part of the lucky four to five percent in the U.S. that has been diagnosed with chronic di- with chronic daily headaches and migraines. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, sort of that on that sort of did onset for me when I was in my early twenties. There's a big uh, genetic component mm-hmm. to that, but um, it's sort of when that first started happening that I it initially I had my head hurt for two months nonstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you know, is kind of enough to drive anybody um, pretty batty for yeah, a while. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so just being in constant pain. So uh, at the time when that started and life got really hard for a while, uh, I was like relating to birth a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Lot. Well, this is a woman that uh, like has lo- lo- lost control of her life, you know, too, and has taken, yeah, you know, her so, agency has been taken away from her. It was, yeah, so there was this idea of like, how can your head hurt nonstop for over two months and you're taking whatever over the counter meds or whatever it is and it's not going away? You know, eventually I saw like, I saw a specialist and everything and mm-hmm. everything was an obstacle and a battle to overcome. Things that were once easy became very difficult. There's still mm-hmm. things that are very difficult to anybody, I think, out there who's. I don't know. I don't like the word disabled, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure in my Twitter feed, I describe myself as a neuro- neurodivergent, but I don't really think there's any specific term that really for me encapsulates who I am. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so things that, that were once easy, uh, sometimes are like difficult and, you know, and challenging. And then there was this idea of, okay, well now years later, yeah, I know that that happens that somebody can have a headache that never goes away or, or right. a migraine that might last over a week or something right. and that you're not going crazy. You're not nuts. That that's an actual thing that does happen to people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Charlotte actually, so I related to Bertha, but then years later, when I was reading the correspondence, I also was relating to Charlotte. And this is where there's a bit of the overlap. Like I was relating a bit to Bertha because of illness, but then reading the letters, Charlotte got these horrific headaches. She writes about them in her letters in one of the poems in the, in the, in the book. I have a sonnet cycle in the book that, um, it mentions that. Uh, in part what it's like to live with CDH and it mentions Charlotte and one of her letters it talks about like she had a headache that lasted over seven or eight days or something mm-hmm. and um, I think some of hers may have been like just basically like she might have been wound up a little tight mm-hmm. but I think uh, some of it may have been anxiety you know stuff like that sure but a lot of, in a lot of them she mentions the weather and the weather's a big trigger for a lot of people who get migraines when there's changes uh, and in a lot of her letters in Hoth, when like the the winds are like really fierce and strong, she's like stricken and, and right. feeling bad. But that just made me admire um, Charlotte Bronte even more that she had like different physical ailments at times and, and things were tough for her. Right. And yet, you know, imagine how much more she might have written if she had lived. Well, I love that you've like you've checked into Charlotte's life. Like I like that you have like sort of gone off of just, you know, Jane Eyre and Bertha's relationship and then started looking at Charlotte 
her life and her afterlife. And so, you know, the next poem on our list um, has to deal with that. So it's like the postmortem for Charlotte. So would you would you read that one? Sure. And I think some of the material mentioned in this poem was inspired by having read um, some of the letters or Mm -hmm. some of the or some of the footnotes and things in Margaret Smith's um, volume in her volumes on Charlotte's correspondence. Okay, so this poem um, has an epigram that says uh, it's taken from a letter that was from Charlotte Bronte to her best friend Ellen Nussie. And the letter is dated 1854, and in it, Charlotte references Arthur, um, her husband, uh, and she says, Arthur says such letters as mine never ought to be kept. They are dangerous as Lucifer matches. So it's this idea of uh, celebrity mm-hmm. and uh, what people see and don't see, uh, or what's meant for someone's eyes and what's not. Right. So poor Postmortem lament for Charlotte. You're a commodity now. They will pillage your life. They will raid the closets of your memory, auctioning, trading, and stealing your correspondence for posterity, entertainment, or several hundred pounds. Everyone will know you have the hots for your French teacher because his wife will salvage your rip scrawl from the trash and stitch the pieces together with cotton and gum. Everyone will get the dish on daddy's supposed drinking problem. We'll discover your little brother bagged an older babe, a married woman named, appropriately enough, Mrs. Robinson. Collectors will covet the grayish, black-bordered morning paper you used after Branwell and Emily are interred in the Parsonage graveyard and in Scarborough. We'll hunt the five fragments scattered across Hoth, Dublin, Texas, New York, and Pennsylvania. Your life smudged by a combination of familiar and foreign fingerprints, riddled with scratches and Ellen's deletions. Cutouts. Your dad will become the favored pen pal of enthusiasts. His well-intentioned mutilations resulting in relics, Strips of cursive distributed like lotto tickets to faithful Bronteites fascinated by your small scribble. It's looped back D's and sharply angled Y tails now faded to a light brown. Nice. A lot of stuff happened with the letters. Mm-hmm. Um, like her best friend, Ellen Nussie that she wrote a lot of correspondence, uh, addressed a lot of correspondence to her. Mm-hmm. I think she kind of, <sighs> Ellen felt a bit burdened and there was that whole drama. Her husband was sort of worried about what would be seen, what wouldn't be seen, right. like who would right. see it. And it, 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 some people might say, oh, he was being kind of controlling. But if you think about it nowadays, I mean, what we were just saying a while ago before we started recording, I said, Oh, Lord, if I kick the bucket, I know I'm not like a super famous author, but if I kick the bucket, I wouldn't really want people to be reading my journal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, after I die, I don't want anyone reading my emails or my Facebook messenger chats. Right. So, Lauren, if I were to ask you, like, do you have any scenes from Jane Eyre that are your favorite scenes that you've reread over and over or that always strike you or that like when you watch an adaptation, you're always waiting for like a specific scene? 
I like anything that's supernatural in Jane Eyre. So, oh, so you like the gothic? I love all gothic elements of Jane Eyre. So ah. those are my favorite bits. So it's like, you know, when the, what we, the red room is the first gothic sort of like scene uh -huh. there. I like when, you know, there's the fire. Um, okay. I like, you know, anytime Jane might hear like laughter or something off in the distance oh, yeah. and she's not quite okay. sure what it is. So anything spooky. And, well, um, uh huh. I, well, I know you have Locked in the Red Room, which I think is a good, it's a good title and I like it. Okay. So that is actually, I wrote a triptych and a triptych is just like a three part poem. Mm -hmm. So part two of it, it's actually a prose poem. Part two is, uh, yeah, it's called Locked in the, Locked in the Red Room. Okay. Locked in the Red Room. She crawls beneath the Garnet couch. Hides like an abandoned rag doll, the missing clasp on her favorite dress, a base coat of nail polish, a clitoris, lies latched onto a stranger's hair, a solitary sock, the nipple capped by a child's mouth, a penny, her uncle's letters ripening in a drawer like wild berries, the mattress cowering beneath its Marseille comforter. Termites crunching the mahogany vanity, sinking their teeth into chairs carved for the benefactress, sawing through the rash between her toes as she rubs her feet across the crimson carpet again and again, trying to smother an invisible fire, stamp out spirits seeping through the barred windows, the brick chimney, the bolted door, dead relatives draining the spark of her thoughts their fleeting brilliance diving off the lip of this crater, this exile among rosewood jewel caskets, blushing walls and sanguine shadows. And we are back. So now I want to talk about some Emily 200 announcements. How about that? I just want to say before we do that, how much I like... Yeah. The Jane and the Bertha in me. Yeah. I Great poetry, right? A lovely poem. Very lovely. Um, you guys can buy that book on Rita's site, comeonhome.org. Um, if you want to get like an autographed copy from Rita, do that. Go to her website, purchase her book, or you could pick it up on like Amazon or, you know, Barnes and Noble, all those places as well. But, you know, an autographed copy, that's much more fun. That's, yeah, it's much better. Yeah, much better. So, um, yeah, t totally check out her site. Um, go follow her on the Twitters. And um, you guys are going to be hearing more of Rita because um, as part of our Emily 200 celebrations, we're going to do a poetry read-along. So we're going to read Emily's poems. Um, I don't know which edition yet. I feel like you can just pick up any edition, to be honest, but we are going to find maybe like an official edition that like Hannah and I will pick up um, something with like a really good introduction because God knows nice I live cover. for a good introduction and a great cover. Great cover. That's what I'm that's what I'm really looking for in my reading experience. So that when I'm yeah. on the train, people not only know that uh, intellectually I'm a sound mm -hmm. guy, but also, you know, when it comes to 
uh, my design tastes. Oh yeah, <laughs> and also like for, so we can Instagram it as well. Exactly. Right. If it yeah, we need if that. it's not on Instagram, did it happen? Like if you didn't, I, I don't Instagram know. a picture of your the pile of books next to your bed. Did you actually read them? I don't I, know. I, I would not know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I will say, guys, if you want to go out there and buy, you know, any old edition, if you go to Half Price Books tomorrow and you see some of Emily's poetry laying around, pick that up and, um, you know, send us the pictures because we want to we want to Instagram that shit. Right. Yeah. And um, we also want to talk about that. So I am going to start uh, weekly threads in our Facebook group, very similar to the way that we did our, our North and South read along. And um, Rita is going to definitely help us along in that read along to kind of just talk more about poetry, the structure, the form, you know, just help help me talk about poetry because I'm obviously like rubbish at doing it. So I thank her for that. I think that's going to be really fun. Um, not sure exactly when we're going to get our poetry read along started. We do have an episode coming up where we're going to talk about all of our Emily 200 plans. So stay tuned for that. But it will be sometime in the spring summer so yeah good times i can't really like wait to like release the full plans for emily i know there's so much going on it's intense it is it's a lot it's very intense and i had debated on like doing a wuthering heights read-along but wuthering heights is just like it's a it's a book to like i feel like you could take six months to like just read wuthering heights at your leisure it's a lot to take in um, I kind of don't want to rush a reading of it. Um, we will definitely be talking about it for sure. Um, I but feel yeah, like I was just like, oh, I get really selfish and stuff like this because I'm always like, man, are we are we doing Wuthering Heights as well this year? Like, ah, <laughs> damn. <laughs> well, I know that was the another the thing to consider too. Yeah, because we already have a pretty aggressive reading list for this year, and I thought the poetry would be I am a little bit lighter on us. I'm complaining a little bit. I am complaining a little bit. But in like a in a happy, I'm glad we're all going on this journey together and that slowly one by one, Bonnets at Dawn will be the only kind of friendship or family circle that I have because I've mm-hmm. stopped seeing anyone else. Because we And all you do read, is read. read yeah. Every book. Yeah, absolutely. That's the goal. We just want to take over your social life. That's all. Give everything to us. Come on. It's not that hard. Uh, so before we go, if anyone wants to read any poems, just like a couple, if you're interested, then I've got like a few, like, I think they're like biscuit tin poems. So Lauren, you know, like mm-hmm. there, there's X amount of paintings in the world that are so harmless or banal or whatever that you could just put them on a biscuit tin yeah, and sell yeah. it in a shop. And people, oh, totally. that's, lo- that's a lovely biscuit tin, mm-hmm. isn't it? Lovely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I worry sometimes that... um that my taste in poems is like biscuit tin poems or charity shop <laughs> records, as my music taste has been described as before. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I only listen to like the really obvious, like Purple Rain, Rumours, sure. like obvious albums, charity, right. charity shop records. Um, so <laughs> a biscuit tin poems that you should go and check out are, uh, oh, Henry's gone. E. E. Cummings, I carry your heart with me. I carry it in. Like, okay. have you heard that poem? I 
I, I feel like I, everyone I probably have. I probably have. You can get um, a vinyl wall decal of it for your house. Like, oh my God. But so what I like, don't let the appropriation of beautiful poetry <laughs> put you off reading it because <laughs> it's a great poem. It's a beautiful piece of writing and it's, uh, it's a really interesting piece when it comes to the, the form that it takes. Like it isn't just the words. So when it, mm-hmm. it's really important to try and get to see it the way that uh, Cummings meant it to be. Like the way it's set out and typed and like the sentence breaks and stuff. Like look at it, it's a masterpiece. Nice. I love it. Uh, Kid by Simon Armitage, one of my favourite poems. Mm-hmm. Simon Armitage was the uh, resident, the writer in residence, the artist in residence at the Parsonage last year. Yeah, he was for Branwell. Good choice yeah. for Branwell, I for think, Branwell. actually. And then uh, my favourite Emily Dickinson poem is My Life Had Stood a Loaded Gun. Yeah, it's a great one. So that's great. I like it. I like it a lot. I love Emily Dickinson. Yeah. Emily Dickinson. So that was um, when last year when I was trying to read some more, 2016 now, when I was trying to read some more poetry, uh, I was going to buy this like everyday selected poetry thing. I was like, oh, this looks a bit like, I'm not sure. And then Mm -hmm. there was this collection of Emily Dickinson. I hadn't read any of her stuff before. And I just grabbed it and I was like, I'll give this a shot. And just flicking through and just picking a poem and reading it, I was just like, oh, this is... Yeah, I can I can buy into this. So I'd recommend yeah. some Emily Dickinson. Definitely. I have a collected edition actually next to me on my desk. And um, it's good to just stop. And like I just read like one or two poems a day. I think that's my strategy too with like Emily Bronte. I'm just going to read one or two. Just like let it sit with you. Think about it. And then, yeah, you don't have to be aggressively reading the entire thing cover to cover like all night long. Just... Read one, let it sit. Yeah, exactly. And like read one and maybe like read it again five minutes later or whatever. Like just do yeah. your one poem. Don't like, it's it's not like a book. Like there's no plot here. You don't have to read five like yeah. in, a, in a row for anything to make sense. Yeah. We're just going to like sit back and appreciate it. Take our time. It's crazy because I'm just like not that kind of person. Like I like <laughs> rushing through everything. <laughs> I feel like maybe your approach to reading is the same as my brother's approach to eating a Chinese takeaway, which is get as much in your mouth as possible. Just keep, yeah, just get it, get it in. through your nose. <laughs> yeah. I can always just hear like his voice in my head going, breathe through your nose, Tim, breathe through your nose. <laughs> That's stop you. and breathe, stop and breathe. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he doesn't need to just stop and breathe. It. He's got nostrils. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you breathe just, with your mouth full, baby. You're in the heat of the moment, you know? Uh, <laughs> Gotta slow down and remind yourself to breathe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Now, <Anna>. if you... <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh. No, go, you. What? You go. You. Go. <laughs> me. Well, guys, I was listen. just gonna say, if, uh, <laughs> I know what if you, you guys are... Say. I was gonna skip <laughs> <all> over it. <laughs> well, I was just gonna say, if you guys are inspired by the Emily's or Simon Armitage, or Rita, and you want to write your own poetry, and you want to send it to us for, you know, a really shitty critique, then um, I, you can do I that. Critique and- <laughs> <your poetry. laughs> hey, we can't. We, who are we to judge, Lauren? We're just going to, like, give it, like, a, a like a 1 out of 10. We'll be like, yeah, this is 7.5. Hey, if you want to write a romance poem about me, you go ahead, guys. Go ahead and then send that to us. And where should they send it to us, Hannah? Well, guess what? You can send it to us on 
uh, Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can send it to us via email, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com, or you can uh, send it to us, post it in the Facebook group, send it to us to the Facebook page. What words am I trying to say? Uh, just search yeah, bonnets yeah. at dawn on Facebook. You know how Facebook works. We all know how Facebook works. Just search it, yeah, yeah. answer the question, we'll let you into the secret fold, and then we can all read poetry together. Yes. Or talk about Princess Margaret, which we have been doing. Wait, we have. She's yeah. great. Because, you know, we've, yeah. just, we've, we've just finished The Crown, Princess Margaret, Helena Bonham Carter. It's like a thing. Yeah. But uh, we oh, have different sorry. opinions. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, <laughs> surprise. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> woo! That is wild. Oh, it's like we should do a whole podcast on it or something. I don't know. Hey, Lauren, maybe we should close with, uh, should I do a poem? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go ahead and read one of your poems, Hannah. Uh, you know what? I wish I could read. I want to do the fish one, but I forgot it. <laughs> That's my favorite poem.